All right, why don't you turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, please. The message is entitled, What About Philosophy? We're going to use Colossians 2, 8 as our text. Um, the number of brilliant men that have lived in this earth is impressive when you look at a list of that. Some have ventured to tell us about God, uh, the world, the purpose of man, such as Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. But when you place them next to Jesus and you compare what they have said, it is sheer speculation to God's word. Philosophies of men are not God's truths revealed, but merely theories based on concepts and ideas of the nature of knowledge by which man attempts to explain and give meaning to the reality of life or how to be joined to God apart from Jesus Christ. The main doctrinal section of this book of Colossians is found in this first chapter from verse 15 to chapter 2, verse 23. Within the doctrinal there's a polemic section combating the heresy at Colossae, which is the heart of the epistle, and that is found in chapter 2, verse 8 through 23. It deals with philosophy and its insufficiency, particularly in verse 8, as we'll read. It is followed by the sufficiency of Christ in contrast to several philosophies in chapter 2, verse 9 to 15, the philosophies that it deals with there is in verse 11 and 14, Jewish ceremony, 16 and 17, legalism, 18 and 19, mysticism, and 20 through 23, asceticism. These are all forms of philosophy, though they cross over to religion at times. Paul warned the Colossians about the insufficiency of philosophy and it's characterized by three things. Let me read here verse 8. He says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. The insufficiency of philosophy is marked out by the following. First, the warning about philosophy, the first part of it, the warning. Secondly, we have the source of philosophy, the middle portion of verse 8. And then you have the contradiction of philosophy, the very last portion. The warning about philosophy, listen to it, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. The deception was Dangerous. The apostle warned the Colossians by telling them to beware. The word means to be constantly looking out. It is a clear warning to be cautious and on their guard in view of the imminent danger. The word appears 135 times in the New Testament. Do you think the New Testament about warning you about deceit? False teaching? whether it be religious, philosophy, whatever it is, of course. The tense 
is in the future indicative mood indicating a real dangerous situation. It's not a hypothetical one. Be careful when pastors and teachers tell you that some of these things, they, they, they can't happen. It's, not, it's hypothetical, really. So God is just kind of using reverse psychology and kind of just playing with us? Hmm. Paul used the same word for the Judaizers at Philippi. He says this in Philippians 3.2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Same word. Notice the warning regards anyone. The caution is directed at the false teachers at Colossae who were denying the sufficiency of Christ. But this proclamation fits a defense for all philosophies as well as religions, but the context is philosophy. The caution would also serve for anyone who would try to take them away from Christ or add anything to Christ at any time in the future. The Word of God is your only protection and mine. It is the plumb line, always. Notice the deception was decisive. The word cheat is made up of two words. It's a compound word. The word spoil, taken in victory, is one. And the other one is to be led or to carry. When you put the two words together, it means to plunder, to make spoil of a person appearing in this form only this one time in the New Testament. That's a very unique word. The word regularly was used for taking a captive in war or spoil in war. The word was used of a slave dealer carrying people off or one kidnapped. It's a very strong word. The Apostle Paul is depicting the false teachers as men-stealers. Spiritual kidnappers, if you will. Men are taken captive as Satan's will, as you know. In 2 Timothy 2.26, you and I used to be there. Wherever we were at, we thought that we were our own person. We thought that we were in control. We thought that we were doing what we wanted to. And yet, we were captive to Satan's will, following the course of the world, the prince and the power of the air. Men take captive gullible women laid, loaded down with sins. Same word, Second Timothy 3.6. Men by covetousness will exploit people with deceptive words and many will be merchandised by false teachers. Second Peter 2.3 tells us. The warnings are all over the New Testament as well as the Old. Now, notice the deception was subtle. That's the thing about deception. Satan doesn't come and say, hey, I'm Satan. I want to deceive you. And the world learns quickly. When someone wants to steal something from somebody, they're, they're very deceptive. When a young man wants to get over on a girl, he's very deceptive, very subtle. 
The Methodists, through philosophy, mark it well. The word philosophy here is made up of two words again. It's a compound word describing uh, fondness and on the mental plane. The other is Sophia, meaning wisdom. Sophileo Sophia. The compound word means the love of wisdom. Men and women seek this. It's an attribute that allows them to be looked up to. Now we uh, live in a very saturated world of information. Any one of you can get on the internet and find out so much information about any one topic that when you would share this with somebody, they would think you are brilliant. But you haven't researched it. You haven't really uh, come to know it through a process of study. It's something you're just reading. A lot of people have a lot of information, but they're not very wise. And you know that by the decisions they make in their life. Wisdom is the best choice of the information you have, the understanding of that, the interaction of it, to choose the right thing to get the best result. That's wisdom. This word appears in this form only this time in the New Testament and only one other time in another form that is translated philosopher in Acts seventeen eighteen in Mars Hill. Two times this word is used in the New Testament, two different forms. It's a very unique word. The word philosophy in the Greek is preceded by an article identifying the specific heresy at Colossae. Paul is writing specifically to the problem at Colossae. It stands in direct contrast to the true wisdom of God, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2, 3. It stands for love of wisdom more than love for Christ. That's a false philosophy. Clever words to persuade about the special esoteric knowledge for the elite few. There in Colossians 2, 4. There's always the yeah, intellectual community who pride themselves. This is what goes on in our nation today. The elite think that the majority of people are the idiots and they can't make proper decisions. So you've got a brilliant, brilliant, uh, what is the mayor or governor of New York that's going to tell you you shouldn't get a Coke over 10 or 15 ounces? Uh, they're passing law here in California now that restaurants cannot give soda to kids. It has to be milk or juice or something else when they order. You see, when the elite group of people believe that they are the upper echelon, then they start treating the masses as what they believe we are, unintelligent and their servants. Wow. Paul is saying to the Colossians that human philosophy desires to seduce them spiritually 
of their chastity in Christ, leading them captive from the simplicity of Christ. And he told that to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. He says he feared as they were being seduced, even as Satan seduced Eve in the garden. Notice the second method is deceit. The same article precedes the word philosophy, identifying the heresy at Colossae, as we've noted, also identifies the second noun, deceit, one article for the two. The word deceit has the idea of bait, to trick, ensnaring a person through delusion, giving them a false impression, either by appearance or by influence. Every fisherman is a deceiver. They put this fish, this worm, they put this worm and this hook. And they tell the fish, look what I have for you, a worm. I have this piece of meat. No, what they have is a hook. They're tricking the fish. This is the word. It's used of the deceitfulness of riches that choke out the word of God in Matthew 13, 22 of the kingdom parables. It is used of our old life deceiving people by fulfilling our lust in Ephesians 4, 22. It is used of the deceitfulness of sin in Hebrews 3, 13. Satan can deceive you, sin can deceive you, self can deceive you, and the world can deceive you. There's a lot of things that can deceive you. Oh, no, no, he's warning non-believers. No, non-believers are dead. He's warning live people. Those who are alive. These heretics with their combined Jewish and Gnostic philosophy, were designed to ensnare the Colossians by removing them from Christ. The attempt was trickery by the love of man's wisdom, by words and ideas that were mere speculation about God's truth. If you listen to some of these philosophers, I mean, I, 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 I remember my philosophy class in Long Beach City College, and then also Cal State L.A., and then you have Christian philosophy when you go to Christian schools too. <laughs> and it is amazing some of the crazy stuff they come up with. It's, it's unreal. And they think they're the brightest light bulb in the entire planet. It's all subjective truth. It must be judged by the objective truth of God's word. These words and ideas result in taking captive men and blinding them to the truth of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded them. Lest their eyes be opened to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, though the noun deceit identifies the method, it also identifies the goal of the philosophy. It's method and goal through deception to totally deceive you. This goes for all false religion. 
whether it be Jehovah Witness, Mormons, TM, New Age, and the Emergent Church Movement, and many, many others. God's word is based on truth, for God cannot lie. He has allowed his word to be recorded, inspired, and errant, infallible. To be passed down from generation to generation so that every generation has God's. Without spot, without error, nothing in God's word. It can be counted on in every generation. The quality of the content of this seed is identified as Empty, underline that word, empty. The word empty means hollow, fruitless, void of truth, power, and hope, contrary to the gospel. The word is used of things that will not succeed, that are of no purpose and will result in no effect. To the Greeks, philosophy was the highest effort of intellect. And virtue. Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.20. Oh Timothy. Guard what was committed to your trust. The gospel. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings. And contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it. Some have strayed concerning the faith. For you to stray from the faith, you have to be in the faith. The deception is towards believers, not non-believers. Non-believers are deceived and lost, ladies and gentlemen. Context, context, context. I knew a man who believed and trusted another man to invest his money years ago. Years later, when he attempted to draw from that account, he found out there was no account at all. Wow. There will be many after their death that will attempt to draw from their philosophies that promised them heaven, only to find out that they are spiritually bankrupt. It's the wrong place to find out. You want to find out on this side of heaven before you die. Oh, what would the sinners in hell right now do? What would they give to hear the gospel one more time? Man. Paul told the Corinthians, listen to him. In 1 Corinthians 1, 19 through 23, he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, not the preaching of foolishness, but the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. 
When Paul declared that, it's still effective today. With all our discoveries, with all our knowledge, with all our technology, with all our advances. It's still an absolute truth. Wow. Philosophy is, in its technical sense, is used for the conscious endeavor of thought by speculative process to interpret the whole of human experience as a consistent and systematic unit, which would be the ultimate truth of all that may be known. This is the goal, to be or not to be. That is the question. Sounds brilliant, doesn't it? It sounds pretty stupid to me. The classical use is the overall interpretation of the universe from a particular viewpoint such as Plato, Aristotle, their disciples. Thomas Aquinas saw philosophy as an overall interpretation of the universe secured only by reason apart from special revelation, the Bible. Speculation, at best. Modern critical philosophies, positivists, and analysts define philosophy as the attempt to investigate and clarify meanings and relationships rather than an attempt to arrive at any ultimate truth. And some of you young guys and ladies who are going to universities, you hear it all the time. Your philosophy class, your logic, logic. Boy, there's a, there's a subject, logic class. My Lord, birds fly, planes fly, therefore planes are birds. Really? Oh, wow. You're paying for that stuff. I've been there. Wow. Why? Because many philosophers have despaired in their search for ultimate truth. We live in a society of relativism, ladies and gentlemen, in our day. Situational ethics, value clarifications. The first time I heard those things was in 1968 at Long Beach City College. As I sat there in a sociology class. Now it's the norm. We live in a society of relativism. What's right for you may be wrong for me. What's wrong for me may be not wrong for you. So far, was the philosopher, and he asked Job, one of his miserable comforters, can you search out the deep things of God? <laughs> Job eleven seven through 12. His friends weren't very good comforters. They were physicians of no value, miserable comforters. Sounded smart. They charged Job with not trusting God, being evil. Hmm. Paul told the Galatians that even if they themselves or an angel came to them and preached another gospel other than they had received, that person was to be anathema. In Galatians 1.8, he says it twice. Anathema is the strongest word of damnation in the Greek. 
And he includes himself and the other apostles. If we are an angel. Wow. Each person is responsible for their own stand against deception. Josephus said there were three philosophies of his day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. The Essenes were an ascetic group down there in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They um, um, did a lot of scroll writing and everything else. They had a ascetic community down there. We all have a philosophy of life, and it consists of what we believe and trust to guide our lives. If your philosophy of life is not biblical, if it's not the scriptures, then you're wrong. You will make wrong decisions about who you marry, who you date, how you live, everything. If you're not looking to God, you're not looking to his word, then you feel that you have more wisdom than the scriptures. Paul says that we are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Hmm. Listen to Paul as he tells Timothy as he has left him in Ephesus and he commands some not to teach any other doctrine in 1 Timothy 1.3. Don't let anybody teach any heteros, any different doctrine than the gospel, Timothy. Wow. For there were those desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things they affirm, 1 Timothy 1, 7 says. Christ was the only way to God. Jesus said that in John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father by me. Boy, you go tell that in a university class. Or anywhere else today in society. They think you're crazy. No other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved, Act 4.12. No other mediator, 1 Timothy 2.5, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You talk about propositional truth. You talk about absolute truth that never changes and it cannot wiggle. Wow. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3. So good, so good. The warning about philosophy is in view of the gospel. In view of the gospel. Secondly comes the source of philosophy. Listen to the words. According to the traditions of man, according to the basic principles of the world. The teaching was according to the traditions of man. The word tradition, as you know, simply means that which is handed out from generation to generation. Now, in our text, it is used of a negative way. Of men being emphatic because its origin and source is only human, not divine revelation. Verse 17, 20, and 22. All right? Peter points this out regarding our redemption not being according to the traditions of our fathers, but divine revelation in 1 Peter 1, 18. Paul uses the word for biblical teaching. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 2 Thessalonians 2, 15, and 3, 6. So the handing back down of the gospel from generation to generation is a form of tradition that we hand down, but it's the biblical revelation that's been given to us. 
Now that is not to say that all tradition is wrong. There is much good tradition of morals, ethics, objective truth and culture that is good to pass down to our children. The tradition that is wrong is anything that opposes the teaching of Christ, the scriptures. Once again, the plumb line, the sifter. Be it by adding to God's word, by taking away from God's word, or by placing a tradition on equal authority or above the authority of God's word. There is the error. Their tradition was doing violence to the sufficiency of Christ. They were attacking the sufficiency of Christ to redeem and to justify sinful man before God. They say, well, you know, Jesus is okay. We believe in him too, but be careful of those buts. There's always, yeah, I, I think he says that. No, no, no. You have to believe everything about Jesus that the Bible says or you are wrong. Absolutely wrong. Now notice the teach, their teaching was according to the basic principles of the world. He identifies it. The phrase basic principles means the rudimentary teaching and elements of the worldly system. The elementary instruction, if you will. The phrase is use of things set out in a row, the ABCs of alphabet. The phrase is used in a spiritual sense here, contrasting the law with Christ. Galatians 4, 3, 4, and 9. Uh, verse 9 and 10 of that chapter. The phrase is used for the need of being taught the first principles or elements of the oracles of God in Hebrews 5.12. So you have the basic elements and principles of the world system. You have the basic principles of the Christian faith. They're foundational. Paul uses the phrase further to identify their ritualistic teaching and practices and religious ceremony here in the epistle in chapter 2, verse 20. And we've already mentioned the per earlier ones from verse 11 on down to 23 there, Jewish ceremony, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. And sometimes Christians get involved in this Jewish ceremony and they're going back to shadows. Jesus is the fulfillment of it, ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing trying to keep the feast and everything else? Sometimes Christians think they're so sheep. They're so above you because they know certain Hebrew words and they can keep. What are you doing in the shadow? Jesus fulfilled it all. Or they get into legalism. You know, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't smoke, and I don't go out with girls who do. Now we know that certainly as Christians... We have no business doing certain things, certainly not getting drunk, certainly not fornicating. These are all the things that we did in the world. This is what the world looks after. And so being a Christian, you're here to glorify Jesus Christ. Your body is the temple of God. 
when it was my body, then I did what I wanted with it. I poured stuff into it. I smoked stuff into it. I did all kinds of stuff. But now you're a Christian. Your body is a temple of God. Very important. The phrase is also used for the physical elements of the universe. So the word, the context is important. It frequently occurs in ancient philosophy comprising of fire, air, earth, and water. The world lives under these elements. Feng shui, position of your furniture, the color of your front door, is it east, is it so the demons can go through? All that kind of stuff, okay? It used to be in the world, earth, wind, and fire, okay? All these elements, it's all in the world. Paul tells the Galatians of their conduct before Christ, serving the basic elements of the world in Galatians 4, 3. The sun, the moon, the stars, the horoscope, Ouija boards, palm reading, pagan gods, all that kind of stuff. Peter uses the phrase for the physical elements of the world to be dissolved after the thousand year reign of Christ in 2 Peter 3.10. The new heaven, new earth will be come down from heaven then. Paul could very well be using the phrase to include the supernatural powers of the intermediaries of emanations or eons as they are mentioned throughout the doctrinal section because see, this is a, the roots of Gnosticism. And they said God didn't create the world, but some emanation got further away from God and it was responsible for the world and the evil. So they have all these mediators and, and, and eons and different levels of things. And, and people get into all this kind of stuff. They're nothing but demons, false teaching. Principles and powers are mentioned in Colossians 2.10. Dealing with angels, good and bad angels. Jesus triumphed over all of them after the resurrection, making an open public display of them. Colossians 2.15 says they couldn't stop him from emptying out the bosom of the Father, the bosom of Abraham. The worship of angels was certainly one of the false teachings of the heretics. You see that in chapter 2, verse 18. Worshiping of angels. Now, some of you young people may not... I know Carlos Santana, who he is, but um, Carlos Santana freely propagates his, worship, his practice of worship of angels, the doctrine he lives by, and in the sold-out concert in Mexico City in the 90s, he was, um, I was watching that on TV as he was saying, look at all these angels around here and everything else. His brother was one of the lead guys in Malo. <laughs> amazing Leon Patillo he got saved we knew him we first got saved in the 70s he came into some concerts for us he used to be with Santana he got saved he came out of there amazing if we don't use scripture to learn about God 
man, sin, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, angels, Satan, redemption, or anything has to do with absolute truth, then we are left to ignorance and conjecture, which can only result in inferior and corrupt knowledge about God, man, and you lean to your own human intelligence. It would be like someone giving you wrong directions to LAX. You'll never get there. You'll miss your flight. Same thing. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You have made the commandments of God of no effect by your traditions, Matthew fifteen six. But in vain they worship me, teaching the doctrine of commandments, the doctrine, the commandments of men, Matthew fifteen nine. Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Matthew sixteen six. False doctrine, hypocrisy, rationalism. Do you know the only thing we are to pass down from generation to generation is the faith once delivered to the saints, as Jude verse 3 tells us? That's the only thing. Nothing else. We are to be good Bereans and examine to find out if what we hear or what we're told is so. Acts 17, 11. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one, Putting on the mind of Christ. Examining. Prophecy. Paul told Timothy to pass the gospel down to faithful men who would be able to teach others. 2 Timothy 2, 2. And that's literally what we do here every week. Throughout the week, we instruct you, we teach you that you are learning so you can pass it down to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your family members, to those friends, to anybody who's open for the gospel. Wow. The value of ceremony, rituals, works, and philosophy to establish our own righteousness before God is an insult to God. Like it was regarding the Jews in Romans 10.3. Trying to establish their own righteousness. Insulting the established righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Christian does not philosophize about God or life. He gives God's word as a fact. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 very, very clear. I did not come with the excellency of speech, but with Christ crucified. I do not preach myself, but Christ crucified. Wow. We have received all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, Second Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says. We are to give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies in it with meekness and fear, Second Peter 3.15 tells us. Could you defend the Trinity against a Jehovah Witness? Could you defend the revelation of God's word and the inspiration of God's word from the scriptures? Could you defend the atoning sufficiency of Christ for your sins in the scripture, the second coming, the rapture. Very important. Paul declared to the philosophers of his day in Athens, to the Stoics and Epicureans, the gospel truth, power, and life, but they mocked him, thinking Jesus 
and the resurrection was foolish. They said, let's go hear what the seed picker has to say. That's what they call Paul. That's what the word is there in Mars Hill. He has some strange things about the resurrection. Because the gospel was neither according to the elements of the world, traditions of men, therefore they rejected it and carried away as spoil by their philosophy of empty, fruitful deception. But a few believed, it says in Acts 17, 22-34. A few believed. Hmm. The source of philosophy is not the gospel. Never. Notice thirdly here the contradiction of philosophy, the last little portion. And not according to Christ. This, this puts a nail in the coffin. <laughs> Philosophy rejects the person of Christ. The fact that he was a man that once walked this earth was recorded in history and declared to be God. This offends the natural man. If they recognized him, that he was who he said he was, God, the Messiah of God, then they have to deal with the rejection of their teaching that clearly contradicts the revelation of God. And every person who hears the gospel has to make a decision. Am I going to believe this? And if not, how can I correlate it to what I know and believe to be true when it's a direct contradiction? And the truth is that they don't correlate. They're a contradiction. One is right, the other one's wrong. That makes them accountable to God. The one who one day will judge them. Philosophy rejects the authority of Christ also. They cannot accept that the words of Christ are the standard for truth. They cannot believe that everyone else is wrong and under God's judgment. Some of your family members think you guys are crazy. You've smoked the big one. You've gone off the rail, man. They, in fact, believe that their authority is greater and superior to Christ. They don't mind you being a little religious, but let's not get carried away. No, let's get carried away. That's what we need to have done. Philosophy rejects the teaching of Christ then. The teachings of Christ leave no room for any other system or religion, let alone philosophy, to bring man to God. The teachings of Christ declare man to be a sinner, an enemy of God, not a good person. Do you believe that? Or do you think you're the exception? The teaching of Christ is the best standard to experience life to the fullest. To the fullest. You know, the first college, Harvard, was established for Christ in the church. In his request of the first large gift, 
to what is now Harvard University, John Harvard said the following, and I'm quoting, listen carefully. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pass to con press to consider well the main end of his life and studies. Ready? To know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all knowledge and learning and see that the Lord only gives wisdom. Let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in, a, in secret to see Christ as the Lord and Master. Above harbor's gates are etched today, still today, these words, quote, After God had carried us safe, to New England, and we had built our homes, provided necessities for our livelihood, reared um, convenient places for God's worship, and settled the civil government. One of the next things we longed for and looked after was to advance learning and perpetuate it to uh, posterity, dreading to leave an illiterate ministry to the churches when our present ministers shall lie in the dust. Wow. Those were the first universities. Many of the major universities today were established by Christians and then taken over by liberals, free thinkers, atheists, and humanists. Harvard, Princeton, Yale. They still have the, the writing on their wall. They haven't removed them. But they're blasphemous. They don't even have the fear of God. The theory of evolution is the religion of our day. That man has evolved from the simple form to the complex through millions and millions of years. Yet the time needed for the complexity of the cell would require more than the time that has been proposed even billions and trillions of years because a simple cell is not that simple. With microbiology, we understand this now. Not one transitional form on the macro level has ever been found. Not one. Now there's variation in the micro. There's different species of dogs. Horses, but no flea has ever become a horse. Okay? We know that the so-called most famous findings were deceptive frauds, and they're still being taught in the universities today. Java Man comprised the finding of a skull cap in 1891, a thigh bone a year after found 50 feet from the skull and a premolar tooth in 1898, estimated to be 500,000 years old by Dr. Du Bois, called the missing link. Yet, we know the truth of his hoax and that he confessed it in 1922. Hmm. You see, university professors and 
All these guys, they need funds, endowments to carry out their work, so they have to do fraudulent things. Peking Man was found in China, 1920 to 1930, consisted of fragments of skull, jaw, limb bones, and that were found. One tooth was found and declared to be Peking Man, the missing link, by David Block. In 1941 to 45, all materials that constructed Peking Man disappeared except for two T's and never seen again. Down Man was declared to be 500,000 years old in 1912. In 1950, they checked the amount of, of fluid in the bones and found them to be about 2,000 years old and the teeth had been treated with iron salt to make them look older. A complete fraud, pit down man. These are our liberal thinkers, the intellectual community of the world. Having said all this, let me assure you that the Bible doesn't contradict science and science does not contradict the Bible. Science is observable and it can be duplicated. Evolution has never been seen and cannot be duplicated. It's a theory. It's a philosophy. It's not science. Existentialism isolates people. It's a philosophy. It says that you must experience for yourself non-rational truth, the final experience, which will give you meaning for life, but it cannot be communicated and it's beyond words, and therefore no one can experience your truth and no one can judge your truth, so really your truth is ultimate truth to you, and it cannot be said to be non-truth. Don't I sound smart? That's existentialism. Imbecility. Amazing. Therefore, no two individuals can have the same experience. Therefore, they have no right to judge one another. And look to our society today. If you talk to somebody, you say, well, well, I'm, I'm not judging. They're already freaked out. The indoctrination was proclaimed by Obama. And all the universities. And there's fear in the atmosphere of America today when people are going to talk. One of the chief men was Kierkegaard. Kant, all of them. Humanism is a belief in man. The belief in man's potential goodness and that he alone directs and makes his life without accountability to any supreme being. Just go on the internet when you get home today or tomorrow and look up the Humanist Manifesto and, uh, and read it. You blow your mind. Humanism resulting in situational ethics, like I said, value clarification. That leads to abortion, immorality, homosexuality, pornography. Because you have a personal choice, right? And no one's to judge your choice, right? Wow. Mocking purity, chastity, calling good evil, evil good. Nothing new. Isaiah 5.20 says that. Romans says that the creature, man, was made subject to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected him in hope, in Romans 8.20. There's a void in our heart. It cannot be filled or satisfied with anything but God. Drinking won't do it. Dope won't do it. Sex won't do it. Wealth won't do it. 
Intelligence won't do it. This void can only be filled with Jesus Christ. No amount of philosophy, psychology, or anything else will do it. Peter puts it this way. You therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, beware lest you also, listen carefully, fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. Second Peter 3.17. Who is he speaking to? Christians. Christians. Nineteen years ago, USA Today, on May 1999, had an article on going to a higher power and what adults would ask God if they could get an immediate answer. Are you ready for the list? Six percent, how long will I live? Seven percent, is there intelligent life elsewhere? 16%, why do bad things happen? 19%, will I have life after death? 34%, what's my purpose here? The remaining 12% mention other things. The Bible gives you answer to all of these things. Very clear. See, the world is searching all the time, ladies and gentlemen. The world has nothing on you. You're content in Christ. You're complete in Christ. You can have peace when you go to sleep at night. (laughs) You can enjoy life. You don't have to impress anybody. Wow. What freedom. The contradiction of philosophy is that it rejects Jesus, the Jesus of the gospel. And so, the warning of Paul to the Colossians of the insufficiency of philosophy has been characterized by the warning about philosophy is in view of the gospel. The source of philosophy is not the gospel. And the contradiction of philosophy is that it rejects Jesus of the gospel. What about philosophy? It's empty, vain, an enemy of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness. We love you. We thank you for your word. And Father, we pray tonight that those who are listening over the radio, the internet, Lord, and Father, here tonight, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, if someone doesn't know you, that you would make yourself known as the gospel has gone out. Your son is sufficient for all things, for our salvation, for our forgiveness, for all, Lord. How to live life, Father. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved. To repent of your sins and to ask him to make you his son or daughter. It's by grace through faith that not of yourself, it's a gift of God. He loves you so much, he died for you. He will not force you to go to heaven, but he invites you if you want to go to heaven. He's made the way for you. If this is your desire, again, It's repentance, acknowledging your sinfulness, your need of Christ, and that he alone can forgive you of your sin. This is a very simple prayer of repentance. If you desire to be forgiven and be born again, 
This is your prayer to him, not to us, but to him. He's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.